The moon is full. The fire is blazing. You've got your marshmallows on a stick, roasting to perfection. The only thing missing is the perfect scary story to complete the mood. Whether these tales are true doesn't much matter to their popularity. If you haven't heard them yet, you will. Settle in for this week's episode, Campfire Stories. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Today's the perfect day. It's like a stormy, rainy day. That we're recording this. Finally, we're getting some rain. It's good for the episode, but also good for my plants that I keep forgetting (laughs) to water. Yeah, my very, ooh, my pepper plant. For a while, it was like a roller coaster, truly, because I was like, it's not going to make it. And then it grew so tall, and it had a little, and nothing ever spouted, and it died. So Mm. it was real tea. Circle of life. (laughs) That is how it goes. Well, speaking of a roller coaster ride. Oh, today, have we got a treat? (laughs) We've taken a different approach. We wanted to do something a little spooky and different for Halloween. So we thought, what better way to do that than to gather around the campfire and tell some spooky stories? Right. Well, uh, it'll be just like we're all together at uh, a sleepover or out camping. or I just have so many memories of being like, don't tell me. Okay, wait, no, tell me. I want to, you know, like it's too scary, but I want to know. (laughs) I was always the one going, tell me more, tell me more. (laughs) Or probably scaring everybody else. Right. You're the one telling the stories as the little Mm -hmm. kids are like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm too nervous for this. We took the approach in the second half of the show of taking our own spin on some kind of traditional campfire stories. We may have all heard like kind of the premise of it, but that's the thing with urban legends and stories like this is whoever tells them it's kind of their own spin and their tale is woven even more over the years as they get passed down. And it's cool because they don't really belong to anybody. So they belong to everybody. I know. I love that idea because you'll look up these, you know, a simple trope and see that it's in a movie and it's in a book and it's in this other thing, but because they're transformed it's still, it's effective, you know, it's, it ha- it's effective in its own way, especially when they're transformed to like keep up with us, because then you really feel like it's happening. <laughs> well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get creepy and spooky. <laughs> the picture of a perfect fall night, cozying around a fire, sitting under the stars with friends, telling stories, and scaring one another. Storytelling in the oral tradition has been around for centuries, but the unique structure of the campfire story became associated with the Wild West and the New American frontier, beginning in the 1840s. Far away from homes and families, those serving in a war or headed off to mine for riches would gather round and share stories, almost always purported to be true. In contrast to folk tales, which are passed between generations, campfire stories are conveyed orally and situationally. They also include an air of truth and a connection to the teller. Most often the story has happened to a friend of a friend. 
With the advent of modern-day newspapers, retailers may have first seen the stories in a column dedicated to strange and extraordinary tales. Some were printed as letters to the editor and taken to be true. I even noticed in an old 1960s newspaper, Dear Abby, people would say, this happened. I just want to tell everybody, you know, my girlfriend was driving late at night and someone was honking at her and she had to pull over a gas station and the gas station attendant told her, you know, come inside, your card's not working. And when she came in, he said, I'm calling 911. There's a man in your seat, in the backseat of your car. You know, that classic. classic and right? still effective to this day because what do I do as soon as I get in my car? I check the back seat every, every single time. time. <laughs> it teaches us for real, though. But it's just funny to see him written of like this. And did it really happen to the person who wrote it in? Maybe. Maybe it's extremely prevalent. Maybe it's so common that everybody is <laughs> writing in their own version of this. Or we've all been made so aware of it and scared shitless that it's prevented a lot of us from meeting that fate. Right? You'll see these the instances of these tales will go down over the years because it's like, ah, 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 I heard that in a campfire story. Nice try. Nice try. I know you're back there. Come on. <laughs> I always think about Pete Holmes' bit where he says he will be driving down the road and it'll all of a sudden be like, what if somebody's in my back seat? And then he'll stick his hand back there and he's like, what am I going to do if there is? Like at this point, just some hand grabs me and you're like, fuck. And now what do you do? You're just on the highway embroiled with some stranger in your backseat. And you kind of like how their hand feels and maybe it's going to go somewhere. You don't know. You're like, oh, it's not really like gripping me or pulling me back. It's kind of just lovingly holding it and even stroking it a bit with their thumb. Man, I haven't felt the touch of another human in a while. This this is nice. Why don't you come on up here to the front seat? <laughs> You're like, I've had a tough day. Yeah, come on. I need I need this. You need this too. You're crashing the backseat of someone's car. You need True. this just as much as I do. Yeah. You're both human looking connection. for something. And sometimes we find love in the most unconventional places. That's just like, what do you have to explain to folks at the wedding? So how did you meet? <laughs> You're like, well, uh. funny story. <laughs> I originally crawled in his back seat because I was gonna kill him, but then things took a turn and we really connected. When you know, you know, and we knew. <laughs> <laughs> the meat of campfire tales is often taken from folklore, legend, and in more modern times, what we would call urban legends. Author and urban legends expert, Professor Jan Harold Brunvand the University of Utah, explains in her book, The Choking Doberman, that urban legends are captivating and plausible, but mainly fiction oral narratives that are widely told as true stories. Passed between people via word of mouth, the stories often include perilous situations, themes of violence or sex, and moral lessons upon the conclusion. Some are meant purely to scare, thrill, or delight. Certain stories also incorporate elements of humor and irony. And those are usually the ones that uh, frequently have a more sexist twist of, like, the woman who was the instructions in the house. This is how they set it up. Okay, a friend of mine and his wife had these planned for if the house ever caught on fire, here's what we're going to do. My friend, was he was going to grab the baby and run out of the house. His wife was going to yell for the two older children, who are like 10 and 11, to run out. And she's going to grab the phone and call 911. It's important that when 911 came out, people called it 911. Anyway, she died in a fire because she couldn't find the 11 button. Oh, and okay. that, was, that was supposed to be like, <laughs> a woman can't find the 11 button. 
<laughs> yeah, that's funny. She just yeah, died in the fire, and her, great, probably her kids did too. Since <laughs> it's great. Also, why did the husband grab the baby and run away? Why didn't she grab all the children and run? And they both run out. And you tell the neighbor to call nine one one. Yeah, it but, seemed like well, like yeah. I was stuck on the fact that it used to be called 9-11, wondering if that only changed after 9-11. But I, I don't remember growing up thinking it was 9-11. No, my mom called it 9-1-1, but I do remember my grandmother called it 9-11. Oh, interesting. She'd go, I but this would have been that. mid-90s. Oh, call 9-11 and tell them about it. Mm. But I, I don't know, maybe it was like how you heard it when it first came out or something, but stuff like that, where it's the situation that the husband thinks is what he's a cement truck driver and he thinks his wife's cheating on him. So he drives by the house during the day, sees a really nice car, like a triumph convertible parked out front. So thinking she's cheating, he dumps all the cement in the car and goes back to work. And then when he comes back, the wife's like, Oh, I bought you a new car, but someone destroyed it. And then his neighbor's like, who is that guy bicycling away from your, bicycling away from your house earlier? So she was cheating, but he still fucked his own car up. Uh, well, you know what? Karma is a cement truck dumping a bunch <laughs> of cement in your car in your driveway. That's going to be the Taylor remix. Karma is a cement truck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be on the remix. We're going to be on the Karma remix. For sure. Oh, yeah. We're, we're like, I don't know if we're six steps away from Taylor. Well, actually, we're, getting there. we're like four steps away from Taylor. <laughs> In a very roundabout way, like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend knows someone who knows someone who knows Taylor Swift. (laughs) Who saw Ferris Bueller pass out at 31 Flavors last night. Who knows Taylor Swift? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) When experts like Professor Brunvan run down the origin of many of these stories, they are often sprung from a kernel of truth. One popular story describes a young teenager girl babysitting alone in a house when she is overtaken by an intruder. This urban legend came into popularity in the mid-century after a real case with similar facts occurred in Columbia, Missouri in 1950. And the... Sad cases that she was strangled with a telephone cord. And so the urban legend version became, oh, he was inside the house. He already had the phone. There wasn't really any evidence that he had made like calls to her, but the homeowner did put a shotgun by the door and told her if anything happens, the shotgun's right here by the door. But it looked like when they came in, the phone had been ripped off the wall. So if anything happens, I have a loaded shotgun right by the door. I am. Yeah. So when you tuck the kids in that are just running around the house playing for bed, you know, the shotgun's right here for your convenience. So the kids will be running around and yes, there's a loaded shotgun, but don't worry. They know not to touch it. Yeah. Don't touch it unless somebody tries to break in. No. Yeah. They put a loaded shotgun right by the door, but it's, it was just a fascinating to watch that that happened for real in 1950. And it was three, maybe four years later that it's being written in as like a, uh, a neighbor of mine in Florida. This happened. It's like, no, it didn't. We know it didn't. Well, it's also used as one of the best cold opens for a horror movie in the original scream. So the trope of the babysitter and the call is coming from inside the house and all of that. I have always found to be, very spooky and maybe because i babysat for so much like in middle school high school even college and there's just something about being in somebody else's house you don't really know all the ins and outs and you know if you need to get away like the fastest way especially if there's like floor-to-ceiling windows and they can just blinds (gasps) don't like any of that 
Mm-mm. Being in someone's house, you just don't know what crevices and nooks and crannies there are and who could be hiding where. I mm-hmm. hate, like, why do you have such a big closet back there? Who's <laughs> in there? <laughs> what's, what's back there? What's that tiny door doing back there? What's in and there? I, I didn't babysit as a kid. <laughs> I would have probably just called my mom to come get me. <laughs> did you really not babysit? Mm, I would be, no, I never did. I, I wow. babysat. If my mom's friend would bring a kid over, I would play with the kid like at the house with her, but my mom was like always there. But I didn't, I, I missed the, the babysitting train, I guess. I don't oh, know. wow. From a way too young of an age, I was left alone at people's houses with their very young children, like sixth grade. Like yeah. the parents would come and pick me up because I obviously couldn't drive and then drive me over to their house, stay with hey, their person. kids and then take me home at the end of the night. But I babysat. I mean, that's how I, that was my first job and probably my most consistent job throughout most of my younger life. I had uh, lots of families that babysat for and even like nannied for some. So I was in a lot of unfamiliar houses and Maybe that's why I am so affected by the trope of the babysitter, <laughs> like somebody just like appearing at the door or you round a corner and there's just a figure standing at the end of the hallway that you know shouldn't be there. <laughs> and you don't even know how to run out because it's not your house. You don't know the most effective escape yeah, route. Like, where the fuck is it? the back door? I don't. Yeah. And as far as grabbing a phone or grabbing the kids. I would try to grab the kids. I would try. <laughs> Sorry, to little grab one. The kids. <laughs> to be fair, you were a kid. Like right now, your children are five and two. Would you have a person who cannot is not Never old in a million to thousand vehicle? years? Never like, in a million thousand she, years. Like she's having anaphylaxis. So I wish I could drive her to the hospital, but I'm eleven. <laughs> That's like, when you call nine one one. Yes, it's less about the driving of the car and more about the emotional maturity and yeah. knowledge of what to do with children. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like uh, babies. Yeah, just play I with was a left alone with a lot of babies as a very young child. But I, like, to my credit, they're all great. They're, I, you know, n- none of them died on my watch. True. Everyone was thriving. And I was a very responsible young uh, babysitter and into my high school years too. I was always, I always took it, you know, seriously, even though I was a fuck up every other way. <laughs> when I was like around kids, I was like, all right, I, somebody else is, I got to make sure that everybody <laughs> like, gets out of this situation. You're like, I'm alive. the only one in charge. I'm in charge. All, all right. right. I, got I guess I'm in charge. Left it better than you found them. But that's, I mean, it's yes. funny you say that about <laughs> 50s babysitters. One of the other ones I saw that was like a, you know, an urban legend was that the babysitters, I, a man said, I heard a couple of babysitters talking to each other, and they said that the easiest way you get an infant to calm down is to just take him down to the oven and turn the oven on and put him next to it for a few minutes, and that'll just calm him down. Anyway, aren't girls so dumb? Again, I don't think that happened. That There's not cases of like rampant teens accidentally doing that, but the fact that then now you're giving, first of all, you're giving people ideas. What is the logic that the warmth of the fire will soothe them? The gas. You take them down by the gas oven and turn oh. the oven on, just or turn just the gas to the stove on and let it monoxide poison them enough to quiet them down. But well, that was like, don't publish that in the I've newspaper. I've never even man. heard of that. I, that would never even occur to me. I was like, oh, like the warmth of a fire. You would sit <laughs> them next to the stove. What's going to happen? They accidentally leave them there. Yeah. Uh, the thing too is like 
the baby isn't the only one smelling that gas. You're getting yeah, carbon kid. monoxide the entire house. <laughs> yeah, it's including not like, yourself. Put the gas mask on and then go. No, it was like, I just go and stand next to the stove. It was like, uh, it basically, it was like, parents, check your babysitters. Mm. Sinisterhood will be right back. Those who study and collect campfire stories, urban legends, and folklore sometimes disagree on whether a story needs to be based on reality to be considered part of the literary pantheon. But even without any kernel of truth behind them, everybody loves a good story. Consider the preeminent scholar on urban legends. Professor Brunvan doesn't think the stories need to be true. He wrote in his first book, The Vanishing Hitchhiker. The lack of verification in no way diminishes the appeal that urban legends have for us. We enjoy them merely as stories and tend to at least half believe them as possibly accurate reports. While newspapers caused legends to spread as fast as news, the internet gave them a worldwide highway. In our early online days, email forwards and online news groups perpetuated these friend-of-a-friend stories beyond their geography. Folks around the world could read the same stories being shared between teenagers on the other side of the planet. Now, entire corners of the internet are dedicated to people coming together and sharing stories that had once been told to them. Many posts involve questions like, I need help remembering an urban legend. Can everybody remember the name of this? Ironically, the questions are followed by a retelling of what the original poster heard, which perpetuates the story into the internet once again. The R Urban Legends subreddit is filled with stories from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, but also includes some that just sprung up. The online concept of creepypasta is also keeping the creepy storytelling tradition alive. While creepypasta stories begin with a generally agreed-upon base, the idea is for the lore to grow and expand beyond the initial concept. And this has been really cool to just see people interacting with each other from different generations saying, oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh, yes, I remember that. Or like, you told each other what when you were kids to like a woman who said, I'm in my 50s and I got this email forward that says I'm now cursed. Is this does anybody know what this image is? And people are like, it's a creepypasta, like, don't freak out about it. But it's cool that there's it's like the campfire online where people want to come around and talk about the stories that they remember. Oh, yeah. The no sleep subreddit is a great one. And again, it's everyone there, like the unspoken rule or spoken rule in the rules of what this subreddit is, is we're <laughs> all going to pretend like this is real. Nobody mm-hmm. shit on this and take the magic away from it. Right. We're all operating. And even the comments, like, you know that you're kind of, you've entered this world of suspended belief where we're all going to assume that these stories really happened and our comments and responses fall under that too, which makes it extra fun. Yeah, it's just, it's like nobody wants to sit around the campfire with a person that's like, bullshit, that never happened. <laughs> that never fucking I- happened. He didn't even <laughs> stop at that. He didn't even have a car, so he couldn't even stop at the gas station. He drove a bike and everybody knows that, Carol. Oh, I was just trying to tell a story. They're like, <laughs> people don't even, they don't even have radio announcements that somebody escaped from the jail anymore. You would get an alert on your phone. It's like, okay, well, fuck off. Right, Leave well. that. You can't have no more s'mores for you. No, no. more s'mores. In fact, go inside. We're all going to have fun out here by the campfire. You go think about what you did inside. Go read a dictionary if you want the truth. We're out here telling stories. <laughs> There is something magical about sitting around a campfire with others, faces lit only by the glow of the flames. 
The thrill we get from stories can offer us real benefits, according to executive director of the nonprofit storytelling organization, Spellbinders, Katherine Johnson. She has two categories for campfire tales, scary ones and lessons. Scary campfire stories involve imminent peril, which Johnson told the Denver Post. You feel the adrenaline rush of being in a dangerous situation vicariously from somewhere else. In fact, being scared together is often a group bonding experience that brings friends closer together. I liken this to haunted houses, too. Oh, yeah. Or spooky movies, scary movies. Knowing that you're safe, but you're allowed to feel all of those feelings that you would feel if you weren't safe. But you're like, okay, at any moment I can pause this if I want, or I can exit out a door. So there's still a sense of like control that you have. Right. You still have your feet planted on the ground, but I, that's cool to have that let go of your, you know, suspend your disbelief and almost like play pretend with your friends. But on top of that, being scared together, it does bo- like bound you together because you're subconsciously thinking, if this was happening right now, what would I be doing? What would they be doing? We would save you. Like, that's what I think sometimes of like put myself in the position of the person in the story I'm watching or listening to and then kind of cast it with the people around me of like, okay, if I would run up the stairs, she would definitely fight him. He would punch him in the face. You know, like I think that it's probably just coping mechanism with trauma. Um, I believe I did the same thing at a party we were recently at. <laughs> And I was chastised because you said I ruined your night when I was like, oh, you go, man, isn't this party great? Everybody's just having such a fun time. Everyone's just like laughing and it's so fun. And then I just sat there for a second and go, yeah, it's like the perfect scenario for a horror movie. Someone could just walk in right now. We wouldn't even know if they were invited and they'd be dressed up. So we wouldn't even know. And then... They just slaughter everybody, but people think it's like part of the party and then it just keeps happening. <laughs> so, yeah, I have those same thoughts too. Well, we were watching a jack o' lantern dance on YouTube when you turned to me. And said I had already been thinking about it because I'd gone to the bathroom earlier and I was had that same thought like the music was bumping. We were all dressed up, everyone was having fun, and I'm in the bathroom washing my hands and I was like, this is exactly where it would be like, ding dong, and then chaos ensues out there, and I'm stuck in the bathroom like, holy shit, what do I do? And I got to grab things to go out and try and save people, or am I going out the window to save myself? This is what happens when you have generalized anxiety <laughs> disorder. <laughs> well, I, you were so spot on and so specific with your description. I wasn't chastising you. I was scared as shit. I was like, wait, why would you say that to me? What? Because <laughs> you just looked at you very, I go, this is a great party. You're like, it is a great party. The perfect scenario for slaughter. <laughs> And then I looked around, I was like, oh, you're right. Everything was like perfect. And it looked like it was meant to be wrecked. It wasn't though. We had a fantastic time. Oh, it was great. It was a great time. It was a good party. One of of the most fun parties I've been to in a minute. Super fun. Everyone got out. As far as I know, we, I mean, people were (laughs) still there when we left. I don't think anything happened afterwards. I've talked to her since. I think everything was fine. Yeah, right. We've been texting. She's cool. She's cool. But, (laughs) but you're right though. Like having those, but, but even you and I just sitting on the couch, like me, I was like, oh God, I'm scared. Hold me. You know, it it does bring bring you closer together. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, even though like, we're like, this won't happen. Just thinking it could gives you that like for real fear and anxiety that you Mm -hmm. fear. Get a little rush. Mm-hmm. Johnson categorizes the non-spooky stories as instructional ones, similar to a fairy tale. 
These might not be scary, but teach an important lesson nonetheless, like lock your doors, trust your gut, or don't stay out late at night. Both types of tales frighten us as they lead us down a suspenseful path and end in one of two ways, terror or a near miss. Part of the fear also comes from the fire itself. Author and storyteller from Minnesota, Doug Wood, told Toastmasters Online, Most people feel a little bit vulnerable around a campfire. As night is dropping down, your senses are heightened, you're not sure what sounds are in the night. You're a little worried about, say, bears. People are ready to hear stories and to use their imaginations to participate in them. So you take that atmosphere, and it really enables you to create some magic with campfire stories. I have a question. Yes. When sitting around a campfire telling spooky stories, is bears what you're afraid of? I have never sat around a campfire and and honestly been genuinely afraid a bear might just come out of the woods. Perhaps it's where we live. I'm more worried that a Texas Chainsaw Massacre situation is going to unfold. <laughs> Yeah, I think you answered your own question in both that whole sentence. He's in Minnesota. He's like, oh, no, true, there might be true. a bear. We are in Texas where, as your husband said, the chainsaws massacre. And so <laughs> that is what we have to fear as we're just like trying to sit around, crack a cold one, you know, roast up some marshmallows. God knows what's behind you. And it ain't a bear. No, it's Leatherface. And he's <laughs> pissed. <laughs> yeah, those are the things that scare me the most. The, yeah. the real life monsters. I feel... Yeah. And I know this is just my arrogance talking. I feel like I could survive a bear attack. I feel like I could somehow get away from it. I've said before, I think I could befriend a bear. So I think if presented with a bear, I have a better chance of survival than a leather face. Yeah, that's true because Leatherface are also more calculating bears, is, unless it's cocaine bear. Bears are just sort of standard issue. They mostly just want food or they, you know, they want to fight you if it thinks you're trying to fight. If you're like, I'm just laying here, have my food. I feel like they would leave us. <laughs> Did you see that bear that just sat, went up and started the mom and her son are at the picnic table eating and the bears just sitting across from them like directly in their face eating their food and they're just like... <gasps> Like the mom and son just like aren't moving because the that everybody around them's like don't move and then the bear is just eating. It may Let be a have stage. the Cheetos, but yeah, it was like the kids like those are mine. She's like shut up, shut up, early you do. But meanwhile, like he's that. like, what's up, everybody? Just yes. having coming for a picnic. He's what's the one that lives in the woods with the pic- little nephew? A picnic basket from Yogi Bear. Yogi, that's it, and Boo Boo. And boo-boo, he was just trying to get his picnic basket. So you're right. I feel like a bear, not that you could reason with it, but you understand nature and like the, but a leather face, they just, they, mm. they want to destroy. Only. Yeah. That's the thing. A bear's like, oh, I stumbled upon this. I just live out here. You mm-hmm. guys are kind of in my home territory. I'm just going about my business. Leatherface is only there to chainsaw you. He's and not once, there to make friends. No, and he, no matter if you leave his area, he'll chase you. Oh, yeah. He's you don't even have to be too. in the house. Yeah, he runs and he wields it over his head, which makes me think he's strong. Because I don't know if you've ever recently, not ever, but recently lifted a chainsaw. I have just like a head trimmer that's like half the size of a chainsaw and it's heavy. And to yeah. think that he's holding it above both heads and running with it is impressive physically. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just holding anything above my head and running is going to be a challenge for me. I'm but out. Let alone a chainsaw <laughs> that is yeah. also on. It's on. It's turned I'd on. I behead myself. It, it would just zoop so. and just, uh, um, that's how Leatherface, that's what you got to do. It's like Hand you got to make a set up an obstacle course. So it's very hard for him to get through it. And he accidentally just like, 
fumbles and whoopsie daisy. That's how you That's take care of them. Leatherface died on an oopsie. Uh. <laughs> Creators of the hit TV show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Knew this when incorporating a campfire into every episode. The staple of 1990s Nickelodeon television, Are You Afraid of the Dark? and its famous Midnight Society took the concept of campfire stories to a new generation in their very own living rooms. Each tale on the show began with the teller saying, Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. Before tossing dust on the fire. Man, this show. Oh, and the the Midnight Society, the most recent one by Mike Flanagan, that was also super fun and pays a lot of um, tribute to the Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I got to say... We're making our way through the new Goosebumps with Justin Long. It is so good. And it's it's like legitimately creepy. There's a little bit of camp, so it makes it still fun. But the writing and the acting is good. There's some humorous parts. I had to look away several times in this most oh, recent shit. one because I was so creeped out. Because it's all R.L. Stein, who also didn't he? That's Fear Street as well. And did yeah. you watch that on that? That yes. was too scary. I turned the first episode. I turned it off. Like, oh, I loved it. It was it was gory and scary, but I did mm-hmm. very much like it. This is a more YA version of that. So there's I probably there, I think you could handle. And you know, if you were a fan of the books, you'll definitely recognize like the stories, and they're kind of interwoven throughout. A uh, a bigger plot line that nicely ties them all together, but it's really good. I need to watch it because I was obsessed with those books. My mom probably still has. I probably had fifty of those books, and I just I would read them just over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And every book fair, I was like, "Can I get another one? Can I get another one?" Because I just I would. She'd be like, "It's all right. You can have one more." But I would just get. I love them so much, which is funny because I am such a huge baby and a scaredy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I highly encourage you to watch this then because Tommy was also a huge fan, and I'll be like, "What what happened there?" And he's like, "Well." The fans know. And I'm like, okay. Well, I was a little older when these come out came out. So my brothers read these, but I'm now getting to kind of watch it for the first time. But he knows a lot of like already the story and what's gonna happen, but they still do a very good job of making it suspenseful and and modern. Good. I love it because I love when IP and stories like that last this long because the kids mm-hmm. at the library are volunteer at ha- some of them will read Goosebumps books. And I'm like, oh, no, I try not to get too like because you don't want like some grown up being all like, what a good book you got. Although I am like, I'm like, great choice. And like someone rented one day at Horrorland the other day. And I was like, this is a good one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought they getting, like that. They, do, then they know right? they can come back and talk to you about it, too. I'm like, yeah, if you want some scary stuff, let's talk. Let's chat. So it it makes me excited to see a younger generation like go, oh, do you got any more of these? I'm like, do I? Oh, yeah. And now with it being on Netflix, I'm sure there's going to be a huge uh, surge in its popularity once again. When Ella's older, she'll definitely like those books. They're a bit much for her right now. But give her a couple years. Oh, yeah. I've always been like third grade. So I was probably like 10, like mm-hmm. nine, eight, nine, ten 10 when I started reading them. So yeah, any, I, I was afraid of the covers of them before that. <laughs> the covers are creepy. <laughs> Say cheese creepy. and die. That is legitimately creepy. <laughs> Which is one of the stories featured in, in the new series. So I'm going to turn it on. Got to go watch it. I think Paris will really like it too. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, now, dear listener, we have some of our own campfire stories we'd like to submit for approval to the Midnight Society. So grab a mug of hot cocoa, a cozy blanket, and gather around the campfire 
for some truly terrifying tales. The message sound dinged. Mariah's heart jumped. She startled the yellow lab lying at her feet. Sorry, sunshine, she muttered to the pup, giving it a pat on its head. She read the message again, turning over the words in her mouth. I like you too, it read. Mariah looked over her shoulder to see whether her parents were watching. Bryant and Regina had high expectations for Mariah, but they weren't strict. She was required, however, to use the family computer in the living room. They wouldn't let her put one in her room. I'm not a baby, she thought as she banged out a response, careful to keep the chat box shrunk down in the corner. Love you, kiddo, her dad said. No response. Mariah, her mom called out over the rattle of keys as dad headed out the front door. Dad and I are headed out. Is there anything you want to tell us first? Mariah's neck snapped to make eye contact with her mom. What do you mean? Her heart raced. She was terrified of disappointing them. I was kidding. I know every single one of the teachers will tell us you are the jewel of Ashford Middle School, Mom said. Mariah laughed and then stopped as soon as Gemma walked in. Four years older with zero interest in anything except her friends, Gemma tried not making eye contact. You'll watch your sister, Mom said. Gemma groaned. (sighs) Gemma, we're having dinner with the Mathesons after the school meeting. Can't you just for once take a little responsibility? Okay, okay, fine, Gemma said. She turned to her sister. Sure, you little baby, I'll stay with you. Baby can't stay alone, Gemma taunted. Gemma, enough, Mom said before joining Dad in the car. Gemma lurked over her little sister's shoulders. Is that your boyfriend, she asked. Mariah shrunk the chat window lower. No, it's my friend Caitlin. You don't know any Caitlins at school, Gemma said. We met online, Mariah replied. Now get out of here. Don't you have some drugs to smoke somewhere? Gemma rolled her eyes and grabbed her keys. You're, you're not staying? Mariah asked, her voice cracking, betraying her earlier cool demeanor. Ignoring her, Gemma walked to the door. She gave a smirk over her shoulder and left, saying, See you later, little baby. Finally gone, Mariah typed in the chat box. Oh, good. So you get the place to yourself, Caitlin replied. What are you going to do? <laughs> Run around naked, LOL? Ew, no, Mariah typed back. Probably do homework. Boring, Caitlin replied. GTG, TTYL. TTYL, Mariah typed back and shut down the computer. In the living room alone, well past sunset, Mariah had finished her homework and started in on a big bowl of popcorn and an episode of Forensic Files. She tossed a piece to Sunshine lying in her dog bed, who leaned over to lap it up. A flash across the window caused her to knock popcorn from the bowl. Was that a person? Or In a second, Sunshine was up and barking. The bushes rustled, and out from behind the leaves popped Bongo, the neighbor's tabby from next door. Thanks a lot, Bongo, Mariah said. Now lie down, girl, she said to Sunshine. Mariah walked to the kitchen to get another soda. You gotta sneak too while no one's home. When over her shoulder, she heard a growl from Sunshine. Leave it, she said, and the growling stopped. When she rounded the corner back into the living room, she noticed Sunshine's bed was empty. Girl? Sunny, you around here? Nothing. She peered out the back windows but saw no movement on the lawn, just freshly cut grass and a few lawn chairs. She searched each room, finding no sign of the beloved pet. Then she looked at the garage door, down that long hallway through Dad's office. Her stomach churned as she walked toward it and grabbed the handle. Breath shaking, she opened the door just a crack. Sunny? 
Then, bam, the front door slammed shut. Mariah, Gemma called out. The little sister was flooded with relief. She slammed the garage door and ran into the living room. Gemma clicked her tongue in disapproval. Two sodas on a school night. Clean this up before you get in trouble. Mom and dad will be home soon. I'm going to go shower. The older girl disappeared down the hallway. Mariah's thoughts sunk under the clang of dishes in the sink and the rush of water. Did Caitlin really want to be her friend? Even if they went to different schools? Why does Gemma have to be such a jerk? She checked the clock. 10 p.m. Mom and dad would be home soon, and she was supposed to be in bed already. Mariah ran to her room, pulled on her PJs, and shut off the light. Lying there, she heard the familiar tinkle of Sunshine's collar and felt the shift of the large dog under her bed. There you are, girl, Mariah said, dropping her hand down beside the bed. She felt the dog's hot breath and wet saliva touch the back of her hand. So hurried to change clothes, she hadn't noticed something before. On her full-length mirror, the one just across from her bed, had something written on it. At the top, there was something scribbled in lipstick. Thanks a lot, Gemma. It's not enough you call me a baby. Now you're ruining my mirror, too, she thought. Sitting up, she pulled her hand from beneath the bed and reached for the small lamp on her bedside table. She clicked it on and made out the writing. Before she reached the end of the sentence, she had launched herself from the bed and ran. For a brief moment, though, her eyes caught a glance of the imposing male figure that had been lying beneath her. The mirror read, People can lick too. Love your pal, Caitlin. Thanks again for helping us out last minute. Mrs. Williamson said to 15-year-old Julie, I completely forgot Dave booked dinner reservations for tonight. Not a problem, Julie replied. I always love hanging out with your kiddos. The kiddos, six-year-old Charlie and nine-year-old Kelsey, had been Julie's neighbors since her family had moved to the neighborhood three years ago. They were fun and well-behaved. Plus, the Williamsons had every streaming service imaginable. Julie was stoked to binge whatever she could get her hands on. Just then, Charlie and Kelsey came barreling down the stairs, each grabbing one of Julie's hands as they dragged her to their playroom. Julie, do you like Minecraft? Charlie asked. Julie, will you braid my hair? Kelsey pleaded. The siblings excitedly talked over each other, happy to have their favorite babysitter staying with them for the night. Julie laughed. (laughs) We're going to do all the fun things. Before you commandeer Julie for the night, there's a few more things I need to go over with her. Mrs. Williamson warmly told her children. As they scampered off, she pulled Julie aside and spoke in hushed tones. The past couple of weeks, the kids have been having some strange nightmares. You know, just their imaginations running wild. After you put them to bed tonight, would you mind watching TV upstairs in our bedroom? That way, if either of them wake up, you'll be able to hear them. Sure thing, Julie replied. She didn't care where she plopped down for the evening, as long as it meant she had access to Netflix. Perfect. And thanks again, sweetie, for coming over on such short notice. Dave's already at the restaurant, so I have to run. But here's my cell number if you need anything. You two be good, she yelled to her children as she walked out the door. Julie headed into the playroom where the kids were happily coloring. She pulled up a chair beside them and grabbed some crayons. So, what's been going on, you two? Are you excited for Halloween? 
Julie noticed that Charlie and Kelsey exchanged nervous glances. Your mom told me about the bad dreams you've been having. Halloween can be pretty spooky, huh? She said while tousling Charlie's hair. What are you dressing up as this year, kiddo? She asked Charlie. A werewolf? Maybe a zombie? Ooh, I know, a creepy clown. The room fell silent. The crayons Charlie and Kelsey had been holding dropped from their small hands, hitting the hardwood floor before rolling away. They both looked like they had just seen a ghost. <laughs> Too much? Julie asked with a nervous laugh. The children just stared at her, eyes wide and unblinking. Maybe we've had enough excitement for one night. How about we both go get you in your PJs and tucked into bed? No, we don't want to go to sleep. They exclaimed at once. Uh, okay, okay. How about we bake some cookies? Yay, I want chocolate chip, said Charlie. No, peanut butter, Kelsey insisted. I bet we can manage both, Julie said with a grin. I think I ate too many cookies, Charlie groaned 45 minutes later. Me too, <sighs> Kelsey agreed, yawning. It's definitely bedtime now, Julie said. Come on, you know the drill. Let's go brush those teeth. At least all that sugar is sure to give you sweet dreams. Julie meant that as a joke, but the kids weren't laughing. They're probably just tired, Julie thought, and headed upstairs to tuck the kids in bed. Surprisingly, Charlie and Kelsey fell asleep right away. Wow, that was easier than I thought it would be, Julie thought to herself. Now, time to see what those islanders have been up to in the villa. Remembering Mrs. Williamson's instructions, Julie headed down the hall to their bedroom. She turned the knob slowly as to not wake the kids and walked inside. It had been a while since she'd been in the parents' bedroom. As a babysitter, it was always oddly thrilling to be alone in the house after the kids went to sleep. Julie felt a sense of empowerment knowing she was the lady of the house now. Well, at least for the next few hours. She grabbed the remote plopped down on the bed, and began scrolling for her show. Suddenly, some movement in her periphery caught her attention. Assuming it was Charlie coming to ask for a drink of water, she was confused when she looked and the doorway was empty. Then, she saw it. She wasn't sure how she had missed it before. A life-sized statue of a clown was propped against the far corner of the wall. What the fuck? Julie whispered. No wonder the kids had reacted that way when she mentioned dressing up like a clown for Halloween. I'd be traumatized of clowns too if this thing was in my house, she thought to herself. The clown was dressed in a red and yellow striped suit with big blue puffballs where buttons would normally be. Its painted white face had black teardrops drawn on its cheeks. Its nose was donned with a squishy red sponge that matched its oversized clown shoes. A frizzy rainbow-colored wig sat atop its head, and it was holding a bouquet of fake flowers. Why the hell would they have such a thing? Julie wondered to herself. She tried to focus on the TV, but it was nearly impossible with that clown staring at her. And she wasn't positive, but she could have sworn it had changed positions ever so slightly. Stop this, Julie said to herself. It's just a stupid statue, a very disturbing and creepy statue, but 
a statue nonetheless. Still, she couldn't help but be unnerved by it. Nope, screw this, Julie said out loud and ran out of the bedroom and down the stairs. Not wanting to break any rules, Julie fished Mrs. Williamson's number out of her pocket and dialed. Hi, Mrs. Williamson. Don't worry. The kids are fine. I'm sorry to disturb you, but I was wondering if it would be okay if I watched TV downstairs instead of in your room. Sure, that's fine, Mrs. Williamson replied. But why? Trying to not sound as freaked out as she was, Julie said, Oh, it's just that clown statue in your bedroom. It gave me the creeps. Must be the Halloween spookiness in the air, she said with a half-hearted laugh. Julie, listen to me. Grab the kids and get the hell out of there. Why? What's going on? Julie asked, now even more panicked. We don't have a clown statue, Mrs. Williamson replied. Sinisterhood will be right back. Gravel crunched beneath her car tires as Isabella pulled up to the state park's lot. She let the engine run once she parked and took a deep breath. <sighs> I'm fine, she thought, letting it out. Just because you're alone doesn't mean you can't still enjoy a nice afternoon out. She looked over the parking lot. 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, well after summer had ended, meant she had the park mostly to herself. Thank God, she thought, ready to enjoy a day of solitude away from the hundreds, probably thousands of people she greeted every day at the luxury department store. One quick check of the boots and another quick check of her pack to ensure everything was in there. First aid kit? Check. Small towel? Check. Map on phone? Check. Water bottle? Check. This wasn't the summit of Everest, after all. Just a relaxing walk through the nature preserve. Isabella zipped her pack locked her car, and headed off toward an entrance into the brush marked all trails this way. She noted the bulletin board at the entrance, warning her of the usual dangers, bugs, snakes, poison ivy, and stepped out of the October sun under the shade of the forest. The narrow concrete path lay before her, framed on all sides by trees heavy with not quite dead leaves. Early fall in Texas isn't the autumnal paradise of some places, the temperature hits 85, sometimes almost 90. Not bad if she had been sitting around doing nothing, but a furnace once she began the ascent up the trail's rocky stairs. At a break in the tree cover, Isabella came to a three-way split in the path. Left, right, or forward. Before she took a step, she heard a rustling in the trees behind her. Startled, she beelined straight ahead, still looking over her shoulder, not noticing she had just started along the trail marked EXPERT. Before she knew it, Isabella was soaked in sweat. She slugged on her water bottle, too thirsty to realize she had more trail than she did water. Mile marker one came before she knew it. Two followed not long after. With her head down and music all the way up, Isabella was startled by the buzz of her watch. Must be three miles, she thought. Then she saw battery low, 5% remaining. She sighed and pulled out her phone. On the map, she saw a ridge with a stream running across it. A few hundred feet from that was a different path marked expert. But I'm on the intermediate loop, she thought, scanning the colorful map to find her location. She noted how different the landscape looked all of a sudden. A pond she had seen earlier was now well below her, 
The skyline had shrunk even smaller since she'd last looked. Her stomach dropped. Where the fuck am I? She thought. Continuing on along the trail, she told herself it was fine to break her own rule of not staying put when lost because just up ahead, she may be able to get a better view. Without thinking, she reached for the water bottle hanging from a carabiner on her day pack. Her hand considered the weight. Another stomach drop. Fuck. Empty. Looking down at the map, she decided the best course of action was to walk toward the stream. It ran north to south, neatly pointing toward the intermediate loop. If she could just get from the expert trail over to that loop, she could get back to her car where there was a 32-ounce jug of water, full and waiting. Next time, bring them both, she thought. She stepped off the pavement of the expert trail and into the brush. A small wooden sign stopped her. Please stay on marked trails. Beware wildlife, it read. Considering the sign, then her empty bottle, Isabella continued. After walking for what seemed like ages, she heard something. It was the trickle of clear water along smooth rocks. It sounded good enough to run her hands through. It sounded good enough to splash her face with. It sounded good enough to drink. What am I, an idiot? I can't drink stream water, she thought. But still, her feet led her toward the sound. Saliva pooled in her mouth. Instinctively, she bit her lip, running her tongue over the sticky dry corners on each side. Maybe just a little bit, she thought. Just enough to get me back to the loop. She looked over her shoulder and considered her location. She still had another almost three miles to walk back to her car. Even under tree cover, the temperature and humidity could cause heat stroke. Not a good idea to pass out along a steep path with warning signs about all the creepy, crawly things that could jump out and bite you. Finally, she saw the stream, her midway point to the loop. So thrilled to see the water, she rushed up toward it, knelt down, and began gulping handfuls of it into her mouth. She pressed her knees in the dirt, letting some water fall on her face. Reaching for her canteen, she unclasped it from her pack and opened the wide metal mouth into the rushing stream. It's not ideal, but I don't want to die of thirst, she thought. Isabella screwed the canteen lid on and kept walking, telling herself, I'll only drink it if I'm desperate. A half hour later, she was desperate. She ignored the argument going on in her head. If you don't drink it right now, you will die. Versus if you do drink it, you're probably going to get some horrible waterborne illness and diarrhea for a thousand years and then die. <sighs> she unscrewed the canteen lid and rolled her eyes at herself as she took a big gulp. Gulp? Isabella finished the swallow and was surprised. It felt solid? No, that couldn't be. It was just a big gulp of water. A chug so hard that it moved the muscles in her throat. She'd felt that before. She looked in the canteen just to be sure there was nothing floating in there, and she was relieved to see only water. Once again, the voice in her head warned her not to drink the rest. She relented, pouring the remaining water out onto the ground cover beside her. As she attached her water bottle back to her pack, she noticed something in the distance. People! She was near the intermediate loop. Not only that, as she walked closer, she realized she had been walking a bit southeast. But that was a good thing. She was much closer to her car than she realized. Finally, she thought as she saw the cherry red paint of her coupe shining under the white hot sun in the lot. The water in her canteen inside the car was surprisingly still cool, owing to the jug's thick metal walls. She put the AC on full blast and relaxed into the seat, ignoring the scorching leather. Isabella refilled her water bottle and sucked. She sighed into the relief of hydration, but her gut seized. It still felt full of stream water. She shuddered. I probably swallowed straight up E. coli from Bear Dookie, she thought. 
She forced herself to drink a few more sips, then put her car in gear and headed home. It wasn't immediately that the symptoms started, though later Isabella would tell her doctor she hadn't felt right in the parking lot that day. Had it been an intrusive thought or a real symptom? She didn't know, but when she found herself in his office three months after the hike, she told him anyway. Dr. Martinez nodded as the otherwise perfectly healthy 32-year-old female sat on an examination table before him. Just three years from retirement, he felt a slight thrill at being stumped. She was reasonably active, stayed well hydrated, always drinking 64 ounces of water per day. Yet she was complaining of nausea, cramps, and bloating. Pregnancy test was negative. Blood test relatively normal with some slight elevations, but no cause for alarm. Manual palpitations produce a slight distension, but nothing too alarming. Miss Thornfield, I want you to lie back and relax. There's a pillow for your head. I've put the jelly here at a little warmer, Dr. Martinez said, pulling a blue latex glove over his hand. I just want to take a cursory look on the sonogram here before sending you for further testing. I told you already, though, I'm not pregnant, she said. Oh, I understand, but I would like to check for any bowel obstructions or other abnormalities, Dr. Martinez said. He pulled a white cart with a sonogram machine near the table. Lift your shirt, please. Isabella complied. She went slightly when he pressed the wand to her abdomen. Sorry, he said, just a little pressure. Isabella's guts rumbled. The past three months had been the worst of her life. She could barely get out of bed. After a few weeks of nearly fainting at work, she had to go on leave, unpaid leave, which she could not afford. Her appetite was insatiable, but because of her nausea, the only thing she could keep down was scrambled eggs. Every day, three meals a day, for the past several weeks, Isabella had eaten only scrambled eggs. She felt strange doing so. It was like she hated it, but she craved it. It was clearly having an impact on her nutrition, though, as the color had drained from her face. Zapped of energy and nearly bankrupted by her unusual eating habit, Isabella was desperate for answers. She shut her eyes, gritted her teeth, and decided to tough it out through Dr. Martinez's examination. She was only a few minutes into her breathing exercises when she was startled by a sound. It was like a cry, a yelp of sorts, and it was coming from Dr. Martinez. Instinctively, her head snapped towards him, but his eyes were fixed on the machine. His mouth open, only a guttural groan came from his throat. Uh, are you okay? Isabella asked. The man didn't reply. Dr. Martinez, is everything... Look! He choked out. She squinted at the sonogram machine, watching the swirling gray static. She traced the line of something, her intestines perhaps, maybe part of her colon. Then she noted the way it moved, the way it shifted, almost slithering around inside her belly. She froze. What is that? She couldn't breathe. Dr. Martinez mustered every ounce of professionalism he had left and asked, Is there any chance you may have recently ingested a snake egg? It was a dark and stormy night as Beth and James made their way down the narrow dirt road that led to their logwood cabin. Beth had found the charming rental online a few weeks prior, immediately booked it, and had gleefully shared the news with James. The newlyweds had been looking to get away from the bustling city life, and this seemed like the perfect escape for a long weekend. But now, in the pitch black of night, as James drove their small sedan over the uncomfortably bumpy road, Beth was beginning to have second thoughts. 
Sensing his new bride's uneasiness, James placed his hand on Bess. Don't worry, it's going to be great, he assured her. You're right, I'm just being a scaredy cat, Beth replied, her voice wavering more than she would have liked. As sheets of rain fell, the cabin came into view. It looked exactly like the pictures Beth had seen online, allowing her to relax just a bit. I'll grab the bag so you don't get drenched, James said. How about you go inside and get a fire started to warm us up? Deal, Beth replied. Holding her jacket over her auburn hair, Beth ran up the stone walkway leading to the front door. As she fumbled with the lockbox, she glanced over at James, soaking wet and struggling to get their bags from the trunk. Warmth washed over her, and a smile spread across her face. We're so lucky, she thought to herself. It wasn't every day you got to marry your best friend, after all. As Beth lovingly gazed at her husband, reminiscing about their wedding, a nearly perfect day that was now a month behind them, her thoughts were suddenly interrupted by a huge clap of thunder. Startled, Beth's focus shifted from her husband to the nearby woods. She could have sworn she saw some movement just beyond the tree line. She tried to call out to James to hurry up, but her voice was drowned out by the deafening thunder. Don't be such a fraidy cat, Beth said to herself. She unlocked the door and went inside to find the fireplace. The outside of the cabin looked just like the pictures. Well kept, a nice porch with matching rocking chairs. There was even a small garden with some flowering tomato plants. The inside of the cabin was a different story. Online, the pictures had shown a modern, yet cozy, living room, a state-of-the-art kitchen, and a clean bedroom and bathroom with fresh linens and towels. As Beth took in her surroundings, her initial excitement turned to dread. A thick layer of dust covered every surface in the cabin. Against one wall sat an old, sagging couch. The dated fabric was stained, and springs poked out of torn cushions. Broken cabinet doors hung from their hinges in the kitchen. Mold crept out from underneath the filthy refrigerator, which was anything but state-of-the-art. The bedroom consisted of a bed and nothing more. A dingy blanket covered the thin mattress. But the bathroom? It was the worst room of all. Afraid to cross the threshold, Bess surveyed the disgusting sight from the doorway. The bathtub looked like it hadn't been cleaned in ages, it was covered in black scum, same as the toilet. The mirror above the sink had been shattered. Only a few shards remained intact. Most disturbing of all, though, was what Bess saw in the sink. Blood. Quite a bit of it. And it looked fresh. Terrified, Beth turned on her heels and made a dash for the front door. She had no intentions of staying here. She collided with James, who was drenched and dragging their luggage inside. Stop! Beth screamed. We can't stay here. Take everything back to the car. We have to leave. What's going on? James asked, alarmed. This place is disgusting. It's falling apart, and there's, there's blood in the bathroom sink. Looking around for the first time, James took in the dilapidated cabin. Yeah, this definitely doesn't look like what they advertised. Stepping over rat droppings, James headed to the bathroom. Ugh, you're right, babe. This is sick. Did you call the landlord? Beth had been so shocked she hadn't even thought of that. She whipped out her cell phone and dialed the number from the rental listing. 
Her face fell as a voice on the other end told her, We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. Bess panic rose as she insisted they get back in the car and leave. James wanted to be supportive, but informed Beth that the rain had washed out the dirt road. It was certainly less than ideal, but they were going to have to wait out the storm and try to leave in the morning. The couple hunkered down for the night, trying to find some silver lining to their ruined weekend. Hey, at least we're together, James said to Beth, his arms wrapped around her. Beth managed a weak smile. This place looks like a haunted house. I'm glad I have you here to protect me. Exhausted from the ordeal, the pair drifted off to sleep on the old, lumpy mattress. What was that? Beth screamed. It was 3 a.m., and they had both been awoken by a strange noise. The rain had stopped, and the night was now still, except for the bizarre sounds that seemed to be coming from the woods surrounding the cabin. I don't know, but I heard it too, James whispered. Without thinking, he blurted out, If someone is out there, clap one time. What are you doing? Beth exclaimed. I, I, I don't know. I saw something similar on a TV show. I just... But before James could finish his sentence, they heard it. A solitary clap. Stunned, but curious, James continued. Who, who are you? The woods remained silent. What do you want? More silence. A brief moment of clarity struck Beth. Maybe you have to ask yes or no questions. Are you a man? Clap once for yes and twice for no. So you're a woman? James asked. Her heartbeat racing, Beth squeaked out. Are you a person? The couple clung to each other, petrified of what was out there. Are you alone? James asked. Fearing for their lives and the answer to their next question, Beth yelled, How many of you are there? Clap one time for each of you. In the dark and musty room, the couple counted 50 claps. They seemed to come from every side of the forest. As the last clap echoed throughout the cabin, a chill filled the air and the front door flew open. Now, the only sounds were the screams of Beth and James as the cabin became filled with a swarm of shadowy figures. The next day, there wasn't a cloud in the sky as Skye and Sabrina drove down the muddy dirt road towards the quaint cabin. Wow, babe, I can't believe you're able to find this rental so last minute, Sabrina said. I know, replied Skye. I guess the people before us must have checked out early. Sabrina parked the car in the grass near the cabin, noticing tire marks in the mud. I hope the storm didn't ruin the previous renter's trip, she thought to herself. Skye was already at the front door. Pulling her coat tight around her, she yelled to Sabrina, I'm going to go inside and get a fire started. Sounds good. Before she could finish, Sabrina's voice was drowned out by the low rumbling of thunder. As she jogged towards the cabin, rain already coming down, she yelled to Sabrina, You sure this is a good idea? 
From the forest, Sabrina heard a distinct sound. Sinisterhood will be right back. The cultural tradition of oral storytelling is alive and well now more than ever. Campfire stories are still told in person over a round of s'mores, but they're also shared through podcasts, YouTube, and social media. Taking on modern twists, the stories now incorporate technology in scary ways that make them seem like they could happen to us. Mikhail J. Coven, a folklorist at the University of Wales, told Live Science that making cultural sense is the key to a story's longevity. Whether they're true is a bit less relevant, as Coven explained. Life is so much more interesting with monsters in it. It's the same with these legends. They're just good stories. So what do we think? I love that because I think in all these are all classic tropes. You know, the people can lick too, the we don't have a clown statue, the something's growing inside of you because you ate or drank something you weren't supposed to, the uh, the creepy cabin in the woods that's haunted. But it's funny because we didn't discuss what we were going to write. We were just like each picking kind of a trope. But yours, they got it off of an Airbnb. She's going to go watch Netflix. My girl was like chatting online mm -hmm. on AOL and some messenger. But the base of these stories are all from, you know, the 50s 60s 70s 80s and, but it still works and uh -huh. it's still scary yeah 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 you just take i mean they always say there's no new ideas under the sun you just kind of <laughs> take somebody else's and revamp it to make it a little more unique and put a modern twist on it but i think all of the classic scares still hold up Right. And it's funny because you think about it as a trope. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're making a unique spin and a modern spin to it. And I think that's why people online love creepypasta and mm -hmm. kids much, much younger than us want to. I was like searching uh, the one where the, the person on Reddit said like, I don't know, what is this in my email? Well, I searched the name of it. It's all over YouTube, all over TikTok. And it's a thing like if you watch it and you think these words, then you're cursed. And people mm -hmm. are like, my cousin watched this and he broke his leg. You know, so you still <laughs> get this perpetuation. But instead of a campfire, you're like in a comment section. Yeah. So well, yeah. Cool. which is, I mean, arguably scarier right. because you're usually by yourself. You don't have the camaraderie like, of safety and numbers. And also you got what, maybe eight, 10 people around a campfire. There's an infinite number of people in a comment section on Reddit <laughs> that can just, you know, add, add their spin or like, yeah, that happened to me too. Oh my gosh, my sister watched this. And then the next day she was hit by a bus. I mean, there's yeah. just so many ways to ramp up that spookiness and add to the lore even more. And then it makes it all ours. Like you said, it's not somebody's story. It's, they're all our stories. So it's cool that I love this. I love that we covered this uh, for a good like pre-Halloween. Like this is our last full episode of our, our, our last main feed episode of October. We'll have Freaky Friday as well. But mm -hmm. it's, uh, the, we can't believe Halloween's already coming to an end. But 
I'm glad we celebrated in this fun, different way. Maybe we'll do this again, something like this. Super fun. And I, like you said, the fact that they're all our stories, I think it makes it even more fun because it's like we're all in on the joke. We're all in on it and anybody can add to it. So if you have some spooky stories, <laughs> send them in now because I'll be picking them soon for this week's Freaky Friday. And is- we'd love to have extra spooky ones for Halloween. And that doesn't just mean paranormal or ghosts. Creepy, spooky stuff comes in all forms. That's a good point. And maybe if you if we could request, if you ever, if you recall a story that you were told as true, like a friend told you growing up or whatever, and you're like, I don't know, whatever. I want some stories like that where it's like when I was 15, mm-hmm. my neighbor next door was like, I'm telling you, that house on the hill is haunted. I saw some goblins in there, whatever it is. <laughs> I love stuff like that where it was told to you as true, not like I'm trying to scare you. Because mm-hmm. I think, it, well, like you said, even if we kind of know where the story is going, it's the subversion of expectations or the it's like you put the piece in the, the puzzle piece in a place and people listening are like there it is it's like almost yeah. satisfying of like yeah, yeah how are we gonna get there and the man licked her hand kind of a thing and depending on where it's told from like minnesota or texas the fears are gonna be different so mm-hmm. it, i like the cultural aspect of it too that adds a different twist so it's not always the same story it's these stories that people take their own kind of spin on and they live infinitely that's the beauty question mark of the internet (laughs) once it's out there it's out there it's screenshots never die well that's uh (laughs) oh man wait oh i was trying to think of like uh a horror movie shirt because you know like final girl defense but instead it's like screenshots never die screenshots never friends die. friends might but screenshots will never die <laughs> dang that's like the tagline of a horror film right <laughs> yeah like With- slaughterhouse but yes. <laughs> different <laughs> it's where your cell phone kills you <laughs> god well i mean some would it's say going to. <laughs> we're all on our way to that yeah it's uh it's taking us all well man what a, a spooky thing where the chainsaws massacre and screenshots never die <laughs> We're just learning all kinds of Texas, things. Texas, where the chainsaws massacre and the screenshots never die. That's right. I am going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> for no one else, just myself. Yeah, I just want to wear it for sure. <laughs> well, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content. And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. You can also head to SinisterHood.com and click Shop on the top banner to get you the coziest hoodie that you'll ever wear this season, our Keep Your Creepy hoodie. Folks have said that they love the feel of it. It's so soft and also so warm. But you can also get mugs, totes, clothes for your kiddos, t-shirts, anything you want. And for a limited time, orders over $20 from our TikTok shop have free shipping within the U.S., so check where available, but go to sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to get all of your uh, spooky season, fall season, and Christmas and holiday shopping too. We had a listener recently tell us at our meet and greet that their teenage son who has sensory issues, uh, this the Keep It Creepy crew neck is like the only sweatshirt that they find comfortable to wear because it's so soft 
And I thought that was a really great feedback because so many people do have sensory issues like that. So just wanted to pass that little note along. Yeah, we always love feedback like that of like, this shirt is great, or this shirt is painful well, and itchy. this shirt sucks ass, so, don't ever suck this again. <laughs> yeah, this sucks shit, what are you doing? But no, I feel like I was wearing good. a sweater made of hair. What are y'all doing? <laughs> it is made of hair. That's why I felt that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's our hair sweater. Did you not read the description? <laughs> I said earlier you could get anything on our shop, and I meant it. <laughs> Well, while you're at Sinisterhood.com, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists. And whenever we have links to live shows, we'll put the ticket links there too. You can follow us on Instagram and X and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Check us out on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. And head over to Cameo.com to get your custom video shout out. It's where we can say happy birthday, happy anniversary. I love you. Uh, please move out. Whatever. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah, we could do a Halloween cameo. Just let us know the message and we will deliver a custom video message to the Sinisterhood lover in your life. That's Cameo.com. Search sinisterhood speaking of halloween themed stuff we forgot to mention thursday night so the 26th is our monthly q a for our patreon listeners in the getting into it tier and above it's close to halloween and you know we got some costumes and neither one of us know what the other one's costume is so we're excited to reveal this to you as well as each other there'll be candy there'll be laughs you know we're going to have to FMK a lot of monsters and shit. <laughs> so join us. It's always so much fun. And even if you can't be there at 8 p.m. Central when we're doing it, the replay is available immediately after. So you can always join later and catch up. All of them are there. They're, the archives live on. Screenshots don't die. See? <laughs> See? We're proving it. Our Patreon Q&As never die anyway. Yeah, Thursday, the 26th at 8 p.m. Central. Come hang out with us. It's always so much fun. It's like one of my favorite favorite parts of the podcast. Is just, we basically get to just hang out and chat with you all, mm -hmm. which is a hoot. Yeah, and, and the we'll questions. Costumes. And, and we'll be in costumes. And although we can't see you, we strongly encourage you also Please. wear costumes. Yes. <laughs> and what we can do uh, on the Patreon page, we'll have a thread where we'll, the, oh, yeah. we'll remind you about the live show. And then you can just, everybody can post selfies if they want to in the thread or just a description of your costumes. So we all know what we're all wearing. It's like I a costume party. It. it is. It, it is a costume party. I'm super pumped for it. <laughs> Well, you can see pictures of oh whatever God. madness is going to unfold on my Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather, where are you? Uh, pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Hannah Wright. P. Killa 007. Julia Boss. D. Court Beans. Julia Randall. Kylie Ogard. Heather Parker. Mama Bear Creative. Tuesday Gola. Heidi Schmid. Kate and Kate's mom. Jill Reedy Soto. Hannah M. Brandy Ann Hinton. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We really could not do this without you. We love each and every one of you. We hope we pronounce your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, happy Halloween.